Welcome to today's episode of the Back in Shape podcast. Today we're going to be covering a difficult topic, spondylolisthesis. This is a diagnosis. It is a uh, statement of what is happening in our lumbar spine and it's something that's a little bit more complicated. So in today's episode, we might be going a little bit down into some more detail with regards to the spine. Hopefully, especially if you're listening on audio, this does allow you to follow along effectively. And as always, that's why we've got that comment section there. If you've got any questions, if anything doesn't quite make sense, and if you've got this condition, then please do post in the comments below. We read and reply to all of your comments, no matter what platform you're watching on. So uh, we're going to get into this in a little bit of detail, but I want to start out by saying something very important and, and, and quite positive because we are going to get into the nuts and bolts of what this is. And, and that is that there is a very good chance that if you've got a spondylolisthesis, you've had it long before it was diagnosed. And it is more a incidental finding, if you will, than the thing that's causing your pain per se, because you will have been living life with this spondylolisthesis for an extended period, often long before your back pain, your sciatica, your current symptoms are actually there. And, and that's really important to take note of because it does give us a positive um, pathway forwards for the future as well. So just have that in the back of your mind as we're going through today's episode. So what is a spondylolisthesis? First and foremost, a spondylolisthesis can be categorized in two parts. And generally what we're talking about here is the movement of the top vertebra on the bottom. So if we say we've got a L4-5 spondylolisthesis and it's grade whatever it is, we're talking about the slippage of four forwards on five. A retrolisthesis would be a slippage backwards. And generally speaking, you see the retrolisthesis don't tend to be as severe as the anterolisthesis. Antero meaning slipping forwards, for which we have this graded system, which I'll get into in a moment. For most of today, we're going to be talking about the anterolisthesis, as that's generally speaking, the one that is of most concern and most import. And perhaps if there's questions or a lot of questions on the retros, then we can talk about those another time on another episode. So how are they graded? Well, the grading is in a simple grading system of one to four. The first grade means that that top vertebra has slipped forward zero to 25% on the bottom one. And what we're looking at here is the body part of the vertebra. The body part is that bit where it's a body of one vertebra, then there's the disc, and then there's the body of the next. We've got the back part, which kind of bolts on, and really that should form one continuous bone more on that a little bit later, but we're talking about the body, the disc, and the body kind of complex to grade this system of, of, of one, uh, two, three, and four. So that first one, 25% forward slippage. The second grade, so grade two, is going to be 25 to 50%. So the vertebra, the top vertebra, is slipped forwards almost halfway or up to halfway on the bottom one. Grade three, 50 to 75%, and grade four is going to be going towards that 100% mark where the vertebra is literally off to the front. And that really, I must point out, chances are if you're watching this video, you are not grade three and grade four. Now, seeing loads of patients over the years clinically, we do see that grades one and sometimes grades two are much more common. And I would say that they are 99.9% .9 of cases. You very rarely, and I can think of one specific example of seeing a grade four. And I would point out this person with a grade four spondylolisthesis. So that's the vertebrae. It's basically on the edge. It's gone so far forwards. Walked into the clinic with some back ache that had been there for a long period of time. And this was an incidental finding. And that just goes to show something very, very important. Spondylolisthesis are serious conditions. It is probably one of the more serious back diagnoses you can have because we're talking about fundamental failure of the structure that load bears in our back. This is a little bit, well, quite significantly in grade four, more severe than a disc herniation, no matter how severe. Even though the symptoms might be quite differing 
from a number of different people that have exactly the same diagnosis. It's much more severe than a simple diagnosis of a, a minor disc strain or a muscle strain in the lower back. So we are talking about something that is a little bit more severe. But this patient walked in with a grade four, very severe spondylolisthesis and a bit of minor back pain. So not always are the symptoms that you experience commensurate with the objective uh, issue that's there in the lower back. And there are many other examples of conditions outside the lower back where we don't necessarily have a lot of pain, but the condition itself is rather serious. And you can use your own imagination to think of which ones we might be talking about there. So that brings us back to the different types of spondylolisthesis that we have. And, and I'm talking about these more from a lay person to help you guys understand them because I really I'd categorize them in three parts. And again, most of what we would see would be grade one, maybe a little bit of grade two, maybe in the membership and clinically. Most of the time, grade three and grade four, they would be someone that has already been to emergency. They already know, apart from in that one case that always stands out to me and will, will forever, um, they will generally have seeked medical advice from the, the, the respective you know, surgical departments in, 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 by and large. So the first variation or the first type would be, again, the one that is much less common or much less common for us to see, much less common for this kind of person to be looking online, trying to find you know, cures or, or fixes for their spondylolisthesis. And that's the person that was doing the windows on the second floor and fell off a ladder onto their back. They've had significant trauma. It's caused a break and damage to the spine. And, and chances are they're probably in the hospital with a number of other serious injuries, head injury, elbows, leg broken, etc. You've had a significant trauma it has been directed onto the spine, you've got a lot of trouble and boom, that's when the, the, the situation happened, the spondylolisthesis occurred. And that is a very small number of these cases or at least there's a very small number of the cases that we see. Then we get into number two, which is a little bit more complex and I'm gonna try and make this as simple as possible for you guys. And this is where we have something called a PARS defect. This is a defect in the developmental process and what's called the ossification process. This is where, um, as we're born, we have a lot of cartilaginous structures which, which are in the place or placeholders for our bone. And slowly as we go through growth, those bones get larger. They start off as obviously as cartilaginous structures and then they ossify, which means they turn to bone. And in a number of bones, the vertebrae being specific ones, we have a number of centers where this process starts. And what should happen is when the process completes in our late teenage years, depending on, on gender, etc., we're going to have a, a meeting of two of these centers and a fusion of the bone. But in some people, for whatever reason, that never quite happens. And there's this place in the pars interarticularis where it is not quite bone. It hasn't quite fused. And that creates a vulnerability. The structure itself, if you were to look at it and take that bone out and just hold it, would be a complete vertebra. But you'd notice there's this little line in the middle where it's cartilage rather than, so it goes bone, cartilage, bone, as opposed to just continuous bone. And that represents a weak point. And many people will have this, well, you will have had it since your teenage years. It just hasn't completed that process properly. And you will probably have been walking around with it for a long period of time. And maybe you didn't get back pain until you were in your 30s, 40s, or 50s. But it has been there the whole time as a weak spot. And that's why I started today's episode with that statement of you probably had this problem for a longer period of time, a period of time when you didn't have back pain, which is positive going forwards. And then as you got deconditioned, you, you know, got back into, into desk-based life, weren't necessarily looking after ourselves, stiffened up because of age, and we're not maintaining 
well-being, our good health and well-being from a physical standpoint, those weaknesses start to get exploited and all of a sudden we get this, well not all of a sudden, but slowly over time, we get this slippage forwards taking place. And that's not a foregone conclusion that it's going to happen. There'll be plenty of people with PARS defects which don't have that forward slippage. But for some of you that do have that spondylolisthesis and you get that diagnosis of some sort of defect in the PARS interarticularis, that is going to be why that is. And the important distinction here between this one and the next type that we're going to talk about is that what's happening is we've got the body, the bony bit on the front, the big bit that's bone, disc, bone, that vertebral body, and the back part, which is kind of like a little bridge that attaches on where our spinal cord runs through, those actually separate. So it's falling away. Sometimes it's on one side and not the other. So it kind of corkscrews and twists like so for those of you watching you can see what I'm doing with my hands and just pulling the one hand away from the other but that's what's happening in this type the third type is going to be degenerative and that's where the whole vertebral unit there's no breakage there's no damage there's no um there's no detaching of the front and back parts of the vertebra because it was always one continuous bony ring it developed normally but degeneratively over time it slid forwards and the whole thing has moved forwards this tends to be quite self-limiting because we have those facets on the back of the spine that block the forwards transition but they kind of grind into one another so typically speaking this third type will generally be most most of the time grade one it might progress on to grade two, but it's, it's going to be a lot more stable than that second type and obviously than the third. So hopefully that makes a bit of sense with regards to what's going on, but I must stress types two and types three that I've just mentioned. Again, this is just my layman's categorization for you guys, not specific medical categorizations there, but those two types are really going to be building up over many years, often before you've had back pain. Now, what is the big challenge with this? Spondylolisthesis in themselves aren't necessarily the problem, although they can be. It's the soft tissues around there that start to become problematic. And the big challenge is really threefold when it comes to spondylolisthesis. Because of the forward movement of the vertebra, backward bending and arching is problematic because it it really kind of encourages that forwards bending, that forward, sorry, that forward slippage of the vertebra and is going to bang those facets together quite a lot, especially as they are slipping forwards, particularly in the third variation where we've got that, um, that degenerative process taking place and the facets already banging into themselves. So we, we want to avoid backward bending. But at the same time, the shearing that's happening of the vertebra on the disc on the other vertebra is not very good for discs. So we always have a degree of disc degenerative change, a degree of disc damage, and most likely some bulging that you will see on an MRI. You will never not have that. And that's really important to understand. And that leaves us in a very precarious position because we want to bend forwards to alleviate the pressure on the back part of our spine, but that has a, has a, has a negative consequence of compressing and irritating the front part of our spine, the disc area. And then with our disc problem, we want to take pressure off the disc and bend backwards, but that loads the facets and is not good for the spondylolisthesis. So I really struck, and this is why the, 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 one of the central principles to the Back and Shape program is so important, and that is learn to stabilize your spine. Hold it where it is. Learn to be stable in that regard. Because if you're someone with a spondylolisthesis, and we'll get onto that third point in a moment, the movements and deviations at this level are going to be most problematic for you. They're going to be most provocative. And learning to stabilize that region is what you must do without compromise for the long period of time or the long term. And that takes time to build up the strength, et cetera, to do that. So this third point is the space. Normally we have two little bridges or two little half rings that sit on top of one another that allow our nerves to exit. Okay. When we slide forwards, those holes make, well, they, the top half moves on the bottom half. So then all of a sudden we've got a, a peculiar shaped exit hole for that nerve to pass through. And that makes a bit more of a, a, a tumultuous or, or torturous route through 
on the way out of our spinal canal and that creates problems that's where it can get caught that's where we can get irritation we have to remember there's a lot of ligamentous structures around there that will now be subject to abnormal mechanical strain and more likely to be prob- to be problematic to be injured to be inflammatory and, and, and flare up and create those symptoms and also if we do have any minor flares you know as we talk quite often picking the scab and a little bit of an inflammatory reaction it's going to fill up and occupy that peculiar space a little bit more readily, which means we're more likely to suffer those severe symptoms of things like sciatica and just general back pain if we do have a flare up because that space where the nerves come out to go on down to through the legs and, and, and to the glutes, etc., that space is compromised. And one of the important things I want to talk about here is just going back to that disc situation because we would see in clinic, and, and this is one of my fundamental gripes with why. It's just a bad idea to solely rely on MRI imaging, especially, for example, in the decompression space. So a lot of clinics will do spinal decompression, for example, like we used to do, which is where you use a big machine, and you stretch someone out, um, and it's great for disc injuries, really, really good. And the primary way they diagnose suitability for that is, is looking at an MRI lying down and then seeing, okay, we've got a disc bulge here, we're gonna intervene here. But so many times we've had, and that's so many times with reference to the limited times that spondylolisthesis occur, when you stand that person up, all of a sudden you realize it's not just a disc bulge, there's a bit of spondylolisthesis there. And if there is a bit of forward slippage, as well as the disc bulge, you have a whole different profile to the stability of that segment. It's going to respond much differently to the person that is just a pure disc bulge, a pure squashing of the disc. There's not that forwards translation that happens when the person stands up because of significant instability in the area. So this is why we really do say you've got to get load-bearing imaging done if you're serious about understanding your lower back problem, your lower back injury, and how to get it better. You need to fully appreciate what happens when we stress the body or the spine with even just its own load, let alone other things like carrying bags, carrying rucksacks, carrying holiday suitcases or the shopping. It's so very important. And unfortunately, I've seen it get missed with patients that have come to us in the past, having had decompression style treatments elsewhere, and we go and get them x-rayed and go, oh, that's not just a disc bulge. That's also a grade one, grade two spondylolisthesis as well. So that's a real problem. But let's move on to something a bit more positive now. And that's, you know, what are we going to do to fix it? Well, fundamentally, if we've got, let's say, type 2, that pars interarticularis defect, or we've got that forward slippage, we're, we're not going to fix the spondylolisthesis. But what we can do is recognize that we didn't have symptoms before. We were maybe more conditioned. We had healthier soft tissues around that segment. And they had shored up and protected that segment for many, many years. And they've just been overwhelmed too much. So we can do that again. And we had a very nice, although it's not the typical, I would say, case where we had one of our members who'd had some external imaging and they'd had some external imaging recently. This was a couple of years ago and then more recently. And they'd been going through the program and lo and behold, their what was a grade two spondylolisthesis had been recategorized as a grade one on examination again a good couple of years later after being given the confidence and the tools to rebuild the strength and support of her body. Now, I don't know that there's necessarily enough research to suggest that that is always going to be the case and always going to be possible, but it's really a really cool anecdote to see someone who actually takes charge of what's going on in their body, positive with the tools available to them and makes some significant change over the long term. We're talking about two or three years here of working hard, being consistent, getting that symptomatic improvement, and then also following it up with some imaging and going, actually, do you know what? The guys have given me a better grading on this system now. It seems as though something significant has changed for the positive with regards to the status quo in my lower back. So that was a really nice anecdote. But but what can you, you do 100% to make an improvement? You can start strengthening up your lower back. Learn to stabilize your core in this region. 
chances are, if it has been there for a long period of time, you've got a lot of things that need to be worked on. You need to look at the things you're doing on a daily basis. Are they problematic? Are they making the situation worse? Know that there are disc components to this problem and there are facet components to this problem and there are general instability components to this problem. And you must have a better understanding than most of the spine your spine and how to build it back together again and how to get greater control over it. That is why strengthen your core and strengthen your legs. By legs, I mean the glutes, the hips, the leg muscles themselves, the calves, etc. Strengthen those two areas and the back muscles coming up from the core, so on the back up to between your shoulder blades. That is so vital for your long term. You must be stronger than the average person. You must be stronger than your contemporaries. As well as that, and I say this in a specific order, strength first, you must also be more flexible. Why? Because if your hips are a little bit more flexible, supported by that higher than average strength, then your hips are going to be able to take more of the load. That means that when you bend down, when you move around, your hips are going to be doing more of the movement so that lower back doesn't have to move as much, which means that lower back that is a little bit more vulnerable is less likely to be put in a compromised position and less likely to become injured or re-injured. As long as you follow those principles, you really will start to notice that you can protect that spondylolisthesis. They typically are at the bottom section of the lower back, L4-5 or L5-S1. And that is so inextricably linked with the functionality of your hips that you must work on having strong and flexible hips. Flexible and then strong hips leaves you open to a window where you are weak and that flexibility is actually going to be a disadvantage rather than an advantage. So we must focus on strength first and build flexibility in as we go. So we have nice full range of motion movements and we are strong. That way we really can protect ourselves and allow the soft tissues to kind of harden up, so to speak, in terms of their resilience around the segment that is injured, around the segment that we have the spondylolisthesis, and you can start to protect it for the long term to drastically limit the rate at which this thing is progressing. Because like I said, nine times out of 10, you've had this for a long period of time and you didn't know. So you weren't taking the actions necessary to look after your body, to put your uh, biomechanical health first and keep your body nice and strong. And if you start doing that now, you're going to be in a much better position for the long term. And chances are you can fundamentally live a normal life and do many of the things that you want to do without really having any issues. So hopefully, although we've gone through on today's uh, episode, a few kind of graphic details of the nature of spondylolisthesis, hopefully you can see how chances are you've had it before you had back pain. And chances are, if that's true, we could probably have a life where we don't have such severe debilitating back pain or sciatica for the long term. It's not gonna be easy, it's not a minor injury, it is a significant one up there. It's objectively a not very good injury to have, or not very good uh, illness or disease, if we will, to have. But if you do the right things and you're committed to the long term and you appropriately frame it, it wasn't just, it may have been diagnosed yesterday, but it wasn't just there yesterday. It's been there a long time. And as long as you understand that, you can move forward with realistic expectations of a time frame and work consistently over that time frame to get results. As always, if you do have any questions, please do post them in the comments below. If you know someone else that's been struggling with this condition, we haven't done a video on it in a while and hopefully this one really does give you guys a better understanding of it. If you've got any questions, please do post them in the, in the comments below and you can always share this video with someone who maybe would benefit from hearing it too. Until next time, have a great day and we'll see you on the next episode of the Back in Shape podcast.